This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. <laughs> yes, I admit that we talk about some rather obscure topics around here. Yet many of these topics are actually pretty well known and even well understood by science. We just haven't consciously applied them to our aquarium work yet. <laughs> One of the topics we talk about here a lot, and we've been talking about this, I was looking back in our, our blog, we've been talking about this idea since, I don't know, like 2016 or so. Uh, one of the items that we talk about so much is the concept of food webs. To me, these are fascinating fundamental constructs which can truly have important influence on our aquariums. So what exactly is a food web? Now, a food web is defined by aquatic ecologists as a series of what they call trophic connections, i.e. feeding and nutritional resources in a given habitat among various species in an aquatic community. All food chains and webs have at least two or three of these trophic levels. Generally, there's a maximum of four trophic levels. Many consumers feed at more than one trophic level. So a trophic level, in our case, would go something like this. Leaf litter, bacterial fungal growth, crustaceans, and then the fish. So in the wild aquatic habitats that we love so much, food webs are vital to the organisms which live in them. They're an absolute model for ecological independencies and processes which encompass the relationship between the terrestrial and the aquatic environment, something we talk about a lot, right? Now, in many of the blackwater aquatic habitats that we're personally obsessed with around here, like the Rio Negro, for example, studies by ecologists have determined that the main sources of autotrophic, you know, the autotrophic food are the agapo, along with aquatic vegetation and various forms of algae. Now, again, for reference, autotrophs are defined as organisms that produce complex organic compounds using carbon from a single substance, such as CO2, and use energy from light, like photosynthesis, or inorganic chemical reactions. An example of that would be uh, phytoplankton. Now, I was always under the impression that phytoplankton was rather scarce in blackwater habitats. You hear that term impoverished a lot. However, the, the studies that I stumbled across seem to indicate to scientists that it's phytoplankton in blackwater trophic food webs uh, that's more present than they thought and might be more important than originally thought. Now, that's all well and good. Let's get back to algae and macrophytes, plants for a moment. Most of these life forms enter into food webs in that region, the Amazon region, or the Rio Negro in this case, in the form of, wait for it, detritus. <laughs> yeah, both fine and coarse particulate organic matter are the main source of these materials. I suppose this explains, you know, why accumulations of detritus and algal growth in aquariums go hand in hand too, right? Detritus is fuel for life forms of many kinds. In Amazonian blackwater rivers, studies have determined that the aquatic insect abundance is actually rather low, with most species concentrated in leaf litter and wood debris, which are important habitats. Yet here's how a food web looks in some blackwater habitats. Studies of blackwater fish assemblage, 
uh, assemblages indicated that many fishes feed primarily on things like burrowing midge larvae, chironomids, aka bloodworms, which mainly feed uh, with organic matter derived from terrestrial plants. Again, detritus. Of course, allochthonous inputs, foods from outside of the ecosystem, like fruits, seeds, insects, and plant parts, are important food sources to many fishes. Many midwater kerosens consume fruits and seeds of terrestrial plants as well as terrestrial insects, you know, those clumsy ants or whatever that get blown off the tree into the water. Insects in general are really important to fishes in blackwater ecosystems. In fact, it's been concluded that the first link in the food web during the flooding of forests is terrestrial arthropods, spiders, which provide a highly important primary food for many fishes. These systems are so intimately tied to the surrounding terrestrial environment even the permanent rivers have a strong, very predictable seasonality, which provides fruits, seeds, and other terrestrial originated food sources for the fishes which reside in them. So it's long been known by ecologists that rivers with predictable annual floods have a higher richness of fish species tied to this elevated rate of food production from the surrounding forests. So it's all interrelated. And of course, fungal growths and blackwater, uh, fungal growths and, and bacterial biofilms, excuse me, are really important in these blackwater habitats as well because they're valuable food sources for life forms at many levels, including, of course, fishes. The growth of these organisms is powered by decomposing leaf litter. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? So how does leaf, uh, a leaf break down? Well, it's a multiple-stage process. We've talked about this before, but it helps liberate its constituent compounds for use in the overall ecosystems and one that is vital to the construction of a food web. The first step in the process is known as leaching, in which nutrients and organic compounds like sugars, potassium, and amino acids dissolve into the water or move into the soil or the substrate. The next phase is a form of fragmentation in which various organisms, from termites in the terrestrial habitat to aquatic insects and shrimps in the flooded forests, physically break down the leaves into smaller pieces. As the leaves become more fragmented, they provide more and more surfaces for bacteria and fungi to attach and grow upon and more feeding opportunities for fishes, of course. Okay, it's all really cool and hopefully a bit interesting, but what are the implications for our aquariums? How can we apply lessons from wild aquatic habitats vis-a-vis -vis food production to our tanks? Okay, this is probably one of the most interesting aspects of a botanical-style aquarium. We literally have the opportunity to create an aquatic microcosm which provides not only unique aesthetics, it provides nutrient processing and, to some degree, self-generating population of creatures with nutritional value for our fishes on a more or less continuous basis. Yeah, food. Incorporating botanical materials in our aquariums for the purpose of creating this foundation for biological activity is the starting point. That's a fundamental part of botanical-style aquarium keeping. Leaves, seed pods, twigs, and stuff like that are not only attachment points for bacterial biofilms and fungal growths to colonize upon, their physical location for the sequestration of the resulting detritus, which, as we've talked about, serves as a food source for many organisms, including our fishes. Think about it this way. Every botanical, every leaf, every piece of wood, every substrate material that we utilize in our aquariums is a potential component of food production. The initial setup of your botanical-style aquarium will rather easily... Uh, accommodate this task of facilitating the growth of said biofilms and fungal growths. So think about this. When you're setting up your tank, there isn't all that much you have to do as an aquarist to facilitate this, but to simply add these materials into our tanks 
and allow the appearance of the biofilms and fungal growths and so forth to happen. Now, sure, what you could do, and what I recommend and I've done, and I think this is cool, is you could add pure cultures of organisms like paramecium, daphnia, species of copepods like cyclops, etc., to help jumpstart the process and add to that next trophic level in your burgeoning food web. In a perfect world, you'd allow the tank to sort of run in for a few weeks, or even months if you can handle it, before adding your fishes. Now, I don't know if many of us can do that, but if you do, it's, you'll be rewarded because it'll really let these organisms establish themselves. And regardless of how you allow the biome of your tank to establish itself, don't go crazy editing the process by fanatically removing every trace of detritus or every piece of fragmented botanicals from the system. When you do that, you're removing vital links in the food chain, basically somebody's meal. <laughs> and that also provides the basis for the microbiome of our aquarium along with important nutrient processing. So when you do that, you don't want to disrupt it. So to facilitate these aquarium food webs, we need to avoid going crazy with the siphon hose. Simple as that, really. Yet, the idea of embracing the production of natural food sources in our aquariums is elegant, it's remarkable, and remarkable, and it's really not all that surprising. They will virtually spontaneously arise in a botanical-style aquarium, almost as a matter of course, with us not having to do too much to facilitate it other than the processes I've talked about above. It's something that we, have, as a hobby, haven't really put a lot of energy into over the years. I mean... We have spectacular prepared foods and our understanding of our fish's nutritional needs is better than ever now. So I could see why it's sort of fallen into the background. Yet there's something to me that's tantalizing, even romantic about the idea of our fishes being able to supplement what food that we feed them. In particular, uh, fry of fishes being able to sustain themselves or supplement their diets uh, with what's produced specifically inside the tanks. I think that's really an amazing and overlooked idea, a true gift from nature. I think that we as botanical-style aquarium enthusiasts really have to get it into our heads that we're creating more than just an aesthetic display. We need to look at the fact that we're creating a functional microcosm for our fishes, complete with physical, environmental, and yes, nutritional aspects. Food production, supplementary or otherwise, is something that is not only a possible thing in our tank, it's inevitable. I firmly believe that the idea of embracing the construction or nurturing of a food web within our aquariums goes hand in hand with the concept of the botanical style aquarium. With the abundance of leaves and other botanical materials to fuel the fungal and microbial growth readily available and the attentive husbandry and intellectual curiosity of the typical tinter, that's you, the practical execution of this type of concept is really not too difficult to create. We're truly positioned well to explore and further develop the concept of a food web in our own systems, and the potential benefits are enticing. Work the web in your own aquarium. Stay curious, stay observant, stay creative, stay diligent, stay open-minded, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tin and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.